chapter 4. This is on uh, page 9-something, 978, if you're using the Bible in the pew. Um, If you have your own, you can turn it there or click there. The verse will be be up on the screen as well, Um, but I think it's always just good to have it in front of you. Uh, While you're turning there, uh, this last Friday night, we uh, watched the movie Encanto together here in the gym. And for those who were there, for some of us, it was the first time ever seeing the movie. For others, it was their 30th time seeing the movie. And so uh, it's just kind of the way it goes. And the movie is about the Madrigal family. And many of them have special gifts super strength, the ability to talk to animals, the ability to produce flowers, which is is unique, Uh, ability to transform their appearance uh, into somebody else, super hearing. And then there's Bruno. And Bruno has this ability to see into the future. The family did not want to hear Bruno's predictions. Rather than seeing these predictions as just events that would come to be, They saw them as curses which Bruno caused. So he, because of this, he was ostracized from the family and the rule was established. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. They didn't want to deal with him. They didn't want to face the things that he brought up and they refused to speak of him at all. We don't talk about Bruno. Now in many ways... This is how many of us, our different people, come to their emotions. In the same way that this family looked to Bruno, many people can look to their emotions in a similar way. No, our emotions do not predict the future the way Bruno did, but they do engage when we think about the future. They connect with our paths and are always active in our present they're part, our emotions are part of our stories. And like the madrigals, we don't always want to deal with our emotions. We don't want to face what they bring up. We don't want to talk about them. We don't talk about emotions. It's a different movie, but I think when it comes to life and our emotions, I think that this is how a lot of people handle their emotions. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. There's no crying in life. This is how a lot of pe- this is how a lot of people deal with their emotions. We don't talk about that. There's no emotions to deal with in life. Put that stuff down. But there is crying in life. And there's joy, and there's hurt, and there's passion, and there's anger, and there's excitement, and there's anticipation, and there's worry. Emotions are a part of life. Emotions are a part of who we are. And in that, we need to talk about them. So today we're starting a new teaching series called Let's Talk About where we're going to lean into and talk about some of these things. From now until May, we're going to lean into the topics that many times we avoid. We're going to discuss how our past impacts our present. We're also going to talk about things like anxiety and anger 
sadness and depression, and then conflict. Not to talk about these things just from some self-help perspective or something like that, but to see how Jesus gives us hope and wisdom and guidance to navigate these aspects of our story. The Bible talks about all of these topics. And so that means we can talk about them as well. And we're going to. And so let's pray again. I want to pray just one more time as we jump into this and we look at this first topic, asking that God would speak to us. And so God, we do come before you and we're grateful for your presence. We thank you that you're here at home, wherever we're listening or participating, and just grateful for the fact that you are a God who is near us and loves us and cares for us and knows us inside and out even more so than we do. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would tend to our hearts. I pray that you would make us believe, that you would help us to believe that you do that. We all bring in different things that we're carrying that, that cause our emotions to be stirred up in a variety of different ways. And you know those things that we're carrying. So I pray that you would speak into those that you would give us your wisdom, that you would help us to trust your guidance, that you would let us be aware of your mighty love. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would move in this place. I pray that you would work. I pray that you would penetrate hearts and minds and everything else so that we could hear from you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So today's going to be more of an introduction to the series. We're going to set a foundation that the rest of the next few weeks are going to be built on. And so Ephesians 4, the passage that I had you turn to, is where we're going to be moving toward the main passage for today, but we're going to be working our way toward it. So if you want to hold off on that one just for a second, we're going to be jumping around all over the place, and I have the verses up on the screen. We're actually going to start with Genesis 1.26 to see an important yet really basic fact, and it's this. We were created as emotional beings. You and I were created as emotional beings. It says in Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. Do I have the verse wrong on there? Is it 26 or is it 27? Whoever has their Bible open looking at it. Ah, no one turned. See, that was a test. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. I might have the verse wrong. It might be 26. I apologize if it is. But it says, let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness. Now, this doesn't mean that we physically look like God, and it definitely does not mean that we are gods. What it means is that we were created specifically in such a way to reflect the attitudes, expression, and character of God. To be created in his image means that we are his representatives. And so in that, we can grow to be more like him. We can grow to become more like the character, attributes, and expressions of God so that we can show what he is like to others. And so we are intended to understand who he is, to become more and more like him, to reflect his image. And so if we're to understand what he's like, how do we understand what he's like? Well, Scripture describes God in many different ways and many different places, and a lot of times it describes God in emotional terms. It says in Exodus 20 that he is a jealous God. It says in Amos 5 that God hates when his, his people worship him in wrong, selfish ways. In Jeremiah 7, it talks about God being angry at people's failings. In Exodus 20, it says that, again, it says that God loves his people. One of the prophets 
Again, him and God were having a little disagreement here, but in one of the prophets, Jonah, he says this to God. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This is, again, describing God in these emotional terms. Scripture describes God, but we also see what God is like in Jesus. And this is about as basic and straightforward as it can get. Colossians chapter 1 says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That when we look at Jesus, we see the reality of God. It says in John 14, Jesus said in John 14, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus shows us what God is like. So what do we see in Jesus? Well, we see that he felt great sorrow that there was moments where he experienced the lowest of emotions. It says in Mark 10 that Jesus would get annoyed at his followers, which that's very freeing to know that, especially if you're a parent. Um, God would get angry at the actions of different people, that Jesus would get angry, that Jesus, thinking about Jesus inviting these kids to come and sit on his lap, that he was tender and approachable. Matthew 8 talks about him marveling at something that happened And the shortest verse in the Bible, but I think one of the most important, that Jesus wept, that he knew grief. We see these emotions that are used to describe God that are seen in Jesus. And when we look at all of this about the Father, when we look at this about Jesus, and we consider the fact that we are created in his image, then that means emotions are an important part of who we are. Emotions are how we are made. In the, in the show Star Trek, in early original Star Trek, there was a character named Mr. Spock. And Mr. Spock was a Vulcan. And the Vulcans were a race that were known as living completely logical. They had no consideration of emotions. And as much as, so, as this is how some people would want to operate, this is not how God created us to be. We are not to be like this. And I just have to say as a Star Wars fan that I felt great joy by putting that on his face. And so that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We were not created to be purely logical people. God did make, not make us to be Vulcan-like we, it isn't like the fall that before the fall there was no emotions and then the fall happened and sin entered the world and then emotions came to everyone. No, emotions are part of how we've always been because we've always been made in his image. And even though sin has entered the world and even though we have to deal with the reality of that, emotions are part of how God intentionally made us. Chris Tigreen says this, We're designed to be a visible representation of our maker. So it stands to reason that we would learn not only to think like him and to act like him, but also to feel like him. Your emotions are part of what it means to be human. They are intentional as far as how God God made you. And again, I know that that's basic, but I feel like it is so important because too often than not, we dismiss our emotions. We ignore our emotions, or we even criticize and scoff at the idea of emotions. Some could feel shame because they're feeling emotions about life and even feel the need to apologize for them. And that is wrong thinking. 
And so right off the bat, we need to see emotions for what they are. They are part of who we are as people. They are part of what it means to be human. They are part of how God has designed us. And so in that, they are an amazing thing. And we need to be able to appreciate them for what they are as part of how God has made us. May we know, if you are somebody that would downplay the reality of emotions, you have to ask yourself this. Do you think God made a mistake in how he created you? Because it was God's idea to make us with emotions. He gave us those. And if he gave us those, they're not a mistake. May we never veto or degrade them. You are an emotional being. And that leads to the second thing about emotions. Our emotions reveal our hearts. They reveal our hearts about life, about others, about ourselves, and about God. Now, I am admittedly not a car guy. I have very little skill there. It's just a reality of my life. If you need help with other things, I know a lot about Star Wars and other stuff, but cars, not so much. So I rely on my Dash's warning lights quite a bit. Yesterday, actually literally yesterday, a tire, uh, a alert came up that one of the, the tire pressure in one of my tires was lower than the others. Knew what to do with that. And so I took care of that, was able to handle it. About a month or so ago though, the check engine light came on, that really ominous yellow one that you see right there. And so that came on, I knew what to do with that. Find somebody who knew what to do with that. And so went to a rallies, uh, got the whatever they put on there, and they said, oh, here's the code, here's what that means. And I said, great, calling my mechanic. Uh, because there was something going on under the hood. And some of those things that are going on under the hood, if it's really, really basic, I know what to do. But there's a lot of things that are going on under the hood that need to be addressed. And just because I might not know how to address it doesn't mean it can be avoided. And so the warning lights, those things on our gauge, Point to what's going on under the hood. Take that to how you and I are made. Listen to what it says at different times in Proverbs. In Proverbs 15, it says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face, and by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Verse, uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. And then Proverbs 27, 19, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. In each case is here, each one of these verses, what's being described? What is happening inside comes out. Whatever is happening inside of us will come outside of us. My face may reveal my emotions, which points to what's happening in my heart. Now again, we can put a good mask on sometimes, but at other times you can look at somebody and you know something's going on, whether it's happiness or sadness or anything in between. Their face reflects what's going on here. Our hearts reflect what is going on inside, whether I realize it or not, because that's the reality. My emotions are a vital, if my emotions are a vital aspect of how I'm made, it's because they tell me what's going on inside. They are the gauge that God has given us to be able to be alerted to something is going on under the hood of your life. And so what is going on inside of me is going to come out. My emotions are my God-made indicators to help me gauge and know my heart. Dan Allender and Tremper Longman in their book, Cry of the Soul, 
which I highly, highly recommend. I will put that in the next email that goes out and we'll post it on our social media. Throughout this entire series, if you want, I mean, I'm going to be looking at that book as I prep. I think it's one of the most fascinating, helpful books that you could read as we go through this. Again, it's called Cry of the Soul by Don Allender and Tremper Longman. They say, emotion links are internal and external words, worlds. To be aware of what we feel can open us up to questions we would rather ignore. And for many of us, that is precisely why we find it easier not to feel. My feelings connect what's going on outside to what's going on inside. And maybe that's why so many people avoid their emotions because they don't want to dig in and really be honest about what's happening. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling safe. I'm feeling worshipful. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling troubled. I'm feeling at peace. Each one of these is an opportunity to discover what's going on in your heart. Allender and Longman also say this, we most often think of emotions in horizontal terms, how we engage other people, how we're doing in relation to the people in our lives. But in a deeper sense, emotions reveal what's going on in a vertical level. They provide a window on the question of, what am I doing with God? The heart's movement can be calibrated and assessed in light of many different criteria, but all evaluations eventually boil down to this. Am I moving toward God or away from him? Am I turning toward God with awe and gratitude or away from him toward false gods of my own making? Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice to understand our deepest passions and convictions. We must learn to listen to the cry of the soul. We cannot be avoiding our emotions. We need to listen to them. What is your soul crying out with? I mean, this, this slide is the whole goal of the entire series. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice to understand our deepest passions and convictions. We must learn to listen to the cry of the soul. What is your soul crying out with? And really, Psalm 42, verse 5, puts this part of their book into biblical words. It says, we, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I think it's really unfortunate when somebody hears that first line in an accusatory tone. And again, not being mean or anything, but I just think you have to own up to that says something more about you and your understanding of God than it says what this passage is communicating. I don't see that as being accusatory. Why are you so down? Why do you have to be sad? It's not communicating it like that. Why are you cast down on my soul? And what is going on in you? What is causing this? I don't see this as an accusation. I see this as an invitation to understand. It is an invitation to understand what is happening on our insides. Our emotions are not meant to condemn us. They are help us to diagnose our hearts. Our emotions are not meant to shame us. They are help us to be pure, excuse me, honest and genuine. Pete Scazzaro says this, to feel is to be human. 
To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of our personal God. And then here's the kicker. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. The more that we avoid our emotions, which I'm not saying being emotional, but avoid our emotions, the more that we do that, we are blocking off ourselves to what's happening in our hearts, in our souls, who we are, and in turn, impairing how we go about our lives, how we love others, and most importantly, how we love God. How is your soul? That's what this entire series is about. Not only to ask this, to give ourselves permission to ask this question, but also to have the courage to hear the answer. How is your soul? Our emotions reveals our heart. And that leads to the last thing. Our emotions must be led by the Lord. Our emotions must be led by the Lord. I said in the previous point that our emotions reveal our hearts. They help us gauge things. They help us understand, to diagnose. We have to understand that, but we have to clarify that that doesn't mean that they're meant to lead us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our emotions, they, again, they're deceptive. They can lead us astray. As some would say, of course that your emotions aren't meant to lead us. We need to use our brains. We need to be logical. We need to think. But you know what? Not so fast on that one either. Because the reality is that the Bible says in Psalm 94, the Lord knows all human plans and he knows that they are futile. And Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The fact is, is that our minds, our logic, our ability to process information is as fallen as our emotions are. And so it isn't that my brain is a little fallen and my emotions are in the pit of despair. No, all of it is marred by the reality of sin. And so we cannot trust our emotions to lead us any more than we can trust our cognitive abilities to lead us. Our, our emotions and our thought processes both need to be in the car of our lives, but neither one can be at the wheel. Neither one can be driving and leading us. That spot is only for God. And that's what we see when we come to Ephesians finally. Our natural inclination, our culture's default, is to let emotions lead. It says in Ephesians 4, 17, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. When somebody doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow him and let him lead their life, then by default, the thinking is emotions lead, passions lead, the self leads. This is the definition of life apart from God. Again, passions are not bad. Emotions are not bad in and of themselves, but when we let them lead us, when we let them guide us, when we let them be the number one thing in our lives, 
then we are on a path of destruction. It might be okay for a little while, but they do not produce what they promise. They do not give us what our heart is asking for and longs for. Only Jesus can do that. And so it says in verse 20, the fact that God gives us, offers us a different way, a better way. It says, that, however, is not the way of, the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Excuse me. The life that we gain in Jesus by his death and resurrection is a new identity that is grounded and focused on him. He is our Lord. He leads the way. Taking on that new life means taking off the old one. Taking on the new way of life in Jesus and all of the values and convictions and purposes and joys means letting go of the old way of life and everything that it is defined by. So yes, this new life that Jesus gives us involves a new way of thinking about the world, but it also means a new way of processing our emotions. Anderson and Skinner say this, it's not enough to understand emotional causes. We must learn to regulate our responses to emotions. Otherwise, our emotional life is like that of an unruly child, creating chaos and destruction in our wake, rather than reflecting the person of Christ. Yes, we have our emotions. Yes, our emotions are part of the story. But if we let our emotions lead, it's going to be chaos and destruction. If we bring them under the, the rule of Jesus, like every aspect of our life, then we are going to be on the life of joy and meaning and peace that he gives us. And those, those realities will guide our emotions. The, the, the new life we have in Jesus, grounded in him and the truth of his word, gives us the wisdom and guide, guidance to not only process our emotions, but to guide them in a healthy way. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're going to talk about our stories, why we're going to talk about anxiety, talk about anger, talk about depression, talk about conflict, because Jesus gives us a new way to think about these emotions, a new way to process these emotions. Not to say they're not important, not to say that they're sinful, not to say that this is bad, but to say in this new life, here's how you can go about living with these realities. Here's what they can show you. Here's how you can move these emotions toward goodness and wholeness and healing and holiness. And so I'm challenging you. I'm begging you, put in, insert strong language here, whatever connects with you, to stick with us for this series, to be a part of this as we go through this until the end of May. And as you think about what's coming up with this series and the different things that we're talking about, I want to end today with two questions. The first one is this. When you hear me say that our emotions reveal what's going on inside of you, what, how do you take that statement? How do you, what, what, how did you emotionally react to hearing how our emotions reveal what's going on in our heart? Did you, whoa, well, hey, hey, I, no, they're not going to show us anything. Proverbial wall. 
or oh, but I know what's under there and I don't maybe want to talk about that or you know I'm not really a guy who feels a whole lot I just like to you know bury it down and or whatever type of a thing when I said your emotions reveal your heart how did you react to that because that reveals your heart is there something that you might be avoiding is there something you don't want to talk about but is there something that needs to be brought into the light so that Jesus can offer healing so Jesus can offer guidance so Jesus can give wisdom we can't avoid those things the hu humans are not bottomless pits the more that you bury, the more that you push down, it isn't just go off into oblivion. It starts building up and building up and building up. And at some point, you're going to have so much buried that something else will happen, and it's just going to be a mess all over the place. And so you can be in tune with your emotions and say, okay, what is my emotions pointing to? And you can bring that stuff out and handle it in a healthy way, in a way that's not destructive, in a way that can lead to wholeness. Or you cannot do that, let it to continue to build, and that's when life gets really, really messy. And so our emotions reveal our hearts. Be open to that. Don't put walls up. Be open to what's coming and be with us as we talk about this. The second question I want to ask, who or what is leading your life? Is it your emotions that are leading you? Is it yourself? Is it the, who you are? Is that what dictates and guides your life? The ethic by which you live? How you make decisions? Why you do what you do? How you evaluate that? Is it just how you feel? Is it some type of emotional experience? Is it, well, just whatever I want to do and who cares how it affects other people or anything? And that, that's our culture's default. However you feel, go with it. Whatever you think, go with it. And no one can judge you. But the reality is, is that, that, again, that might work for a little while. It might make us happy. But that way of life cannot deliver on what it promises. It is a con artist and it's lying to you. It cannot offer healing. You, you cannot heal your own heart. You cannot deal with the sin problem that we have that causes brokenness. You cannot navigate your own emotions on your own. We all need help. We all need community. And we need it based in the Lord and the one who wants to guide us and heal us. And so maybe that's the reality that for some of you, if you're somebody that follows Jesus, that you need to be reminded that this is an area of discipleship. Emotions are part of growing in Jesus. Dealing with your emotions in a healthy way and knowing how to navigate your emotions in a healthy way is as much a part of discipleship as learning scripture or spiritual disciplines. And so this is an area you can't scoff at or minimize or brush off until we get to the deeper mental things. You need to deal with these things. But maybe you're in here and you're not following Jesus. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you to receive the life that he is offering you. Because it's only with him do we have the life our heart craves. He is the one that deals with our sin problem, who will forgive us of those things, restore us back to God, who will bring healing, who gives us purpose that goes beyond this life, who will give you joy beyond your experiences, who will make you a part of something greater than yourself. Nothing that you can look to on this world offers you a life like that. And Jesus made it possible. 
He says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And being with God is who you were meant to be with. He says, how do we receive that life? Ephesians says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so no one can boast about it. How do we receive that life from Jesus? We receive it as the gift that it is. Something that Jesus has made possible. It isn't about you've done enough or you're this good person or you're better than this person or your parents believe this. That's all bragging on yourself and looking to other things. None of that saves you. How are you with God? How is your soul with the Lord? And if you give any kind of response to that as far as, well, I feel like I'm a good person or I feel like I'm really trying really hard, none of that makes you okay with God. The only thing that brings us into a life with him is Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection conquering sin and death. It's only by Jesus' work that we have life and you need to trust him, not yourself or anyone else. Romans says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. And so you need to declare that he is going to be Lord of my life. I am aligning who I am with him. I am not, I am not leading. No one else is leading. I'm not trusting my emotions. I'm trusting Jesus. And if you believe the reality of what he's done for you, and you make him Lord of your life, if you believe that to be true, adhere the depth of your heart, not just mentally, I've checked this box, but God, I am aligning who I am with you. I want life with you. Make me your child. If you believe that in your heart, that's when life begins. And so I pray today that you find life in him. Who is leading your life? No one else can lead it the way Jesus will. We're going to end today by receiving communion. Um, I am happy to say we are not doing plastic communion. We are passing trays and doing real uh, communion. So not that we're not really grateful for that, but let's just be honest. Um, So it's been a while, different instructions, and so it's been a while since we've done this in here. And so, yeah, go ahead and start passing it out. Uh, The bread is going to come by first. Take a piece of that. Just so you know, there's a little tray in the middle. That little tray has gluten-free bread in it. For those, we know we have a bunch of people in our church family that need that. If you are, thank you. If you are someone in here that uh, does not need gluten-free bread, please don't let this be your moment to go, oh, I think I'll try it. No, leave that in there for those who need it. Um, And then the juice is coming by. Just grab one of those, hold the bread, hold the juice, and then in just a moment, we'll receive communion together. While the elements are being passed um, around, we always just take communion as a moment to be prayerful before the Lord, to be open to hear from him. And so just um, if you, while you're waiting for it, after it gets passed, we're just going to take a moment to be in God's presence, to hear from, let him speak to our hearts, to be re- prompted by what we've heard from the word. Uh, maybe you need to just listen to him. Maybe you need to confess something to him. Maybe you need to just, God, and I, I, man, I would encourage this reality of prayerfully just coming before him and saying, God, help, show me what my emotions are trying to reveal. God, help guide me within the reality of my emotions. Uh, if you're in here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you don't need to do communion right now because communion is 
what we do when we remember what Jesus has done for us. You don't have anything to remember because you haven't trusted in him yet. You need to let this be a moment of prayer to give your life to Jesus, to put your faith in him. Um, So whatever you need to do in this moment, let's just be quiet before him for a minute and then we'll receive communion together. So God, I pray you would speak to our hearts. Let us hear from you. We are grateful for your presence. Let's just be quiet before him. stand with me and then we'll receive communion together. Psalm 42 again says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's the reality of what we remember in the death of Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood, the resurrection is that he is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our God. And so, Lord, we come before you as a family to thank you and praise you for the God that you are, for the way that you have shown your love to us, for the death of your son, for the resurrection, God. God, we thank you for taking our sin upon you and that we can be righteous before you. We thank you for this life that you've given us, this new identity. God, I pray that you be with us, that you would remind us to stay focused on you, to persevere with you. Forgive us for the moments when we slip away we take mediocre things as more important than they are. God, as we think through and just remember who we are in you, let that be an encouragement to us as we process the reality of our emotions. We are grateful for how you've made us to reflect you, God. And I pray you continually make this church more and more in your image. We just thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can remember all of these things. Let's receive communion together. thankful for your broken body. We're thankful for your shed blood. We're thankful for the empty tomb. And we're thankful for the life that we have in you. In your name, amen. We're going to do this last song together. Uh, If you want to pass the cups toward the middle, we'll, we'll collect those. And I do want to say,
here and you need to put your faith in Jesus, don't wait till this song is over. Come up and let me pray with you. If God's leading you in that way, don't ignore that. Uh, but let's worship him together.